the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Hour 2 of SoCal Live, this Wednesday edition of SoCal Live. Do you ever forget what day it is? Sometimes I have to think about it. What day is today? Oh, it's Wednesday. I'm Scott Furrow. I'm your host. It's good to be with you today on this wonderful afternoon here in Southern California. It's supposed to warm up, I guess, here pretty soon. And looking forward to that as well. But it's always good to see the sunshine everywhere we go. And it's also great to be with you. I always enjoy our conversation and talking about the issues of the day together and pointing us to and together walking closer, hopefully, to Jesus and what we should be doing as believers, how to have an impact on the lives of the people that God has placed around us and in our community. You can always join our conversation here. The number is 888-528-2557. That's 888-LA-TALKS. Would love it if you put that in your contacts. That way you just have it with you. That way, anytime you want to jump in on our conversation while you're driving or maybe you're at work, 888-528-2557. Just put it in as SoCal Live and you can call into the show. Be a part of the conversation because I know that you have important things to add to this discussion. I know that our audience together, we can make an impact and we've been doing that in some different ways and we can encourage each other and build each other up, even talk about some difficult things that we need to talk about. You know, there's there's an interesting thing that happens in, in church life is that there are issues of the day that we don't talk about well in church and it's a shame because they're talked about everywhere else except church. Uh, and most of those issues have to do with uh, issues of sexuality and some of the stuff going on with gender and other things. And we can throw down some some lines about it and different things. But what really should we be thinking about? How do we look at it from a deeper way? How do we address some of the issues that are going on in our world today? Lots of conversation about, well, do we boycott Disney because of what they're doing? And if you do that, are you going to boycott Star Wars, The Avengers? Are you going to boycott ESPN? Are you going to boycott all the different things that are Disney? Um, there's probably things that you're giving money to Disney for that you have no idea. In fact, every company that you're you're involved with has probably got people or maybe you know, indirectly or directly doing something that you don't like, whatever side of whatever argument you might be on. What's the answer? Uh, the answer can't be to do nothing. So how do we do this? How do we stand? One of the issues that I think is out there um, – that we need to be thinking about seriously. And I try to look at these things, and as an audience together, I think we can look at these things from the context of what things are not really partisan when we pull them, you know, when we really get down to what the issue is. And some things are left and right uh, out there in the media and the way they're presented, but why? Is that really true? And it's one of those issues is parents' rights. And at what point do parents... Should parents have the right to be involved in the healthcare questions of their kids? You know, in California, once you're 12, you have a lot of rights to have things done to you or have conversations uh, with your doctor that your parents don't get to know about. And one of the biggest pushes right now, of course, is transgender therapy. And, you know, we're talking about irreversible surgeries, irreversible uh, medicines that have to do with puberty blockers and other things like this that parents may not even know about that 
younger people are being put in a situation where they are being pressured. Sometimes they're pressured by themselves, and this is what they think they should do, but pressured by friends, pressured by society to make irreversible physical decisions about themselves. How do we feel about that? So one of the more recent issues has been the the parental rights bill in Florida that uh, the left dubbed it as the don't say gay bill, but it doesn't say that anywhere in the bill. And, you know, no bills are perfect, but it basically is let's not talk about these agendas and sexual things with kids from pre-K all the way through the third grade. And it's okay if they if they ask a question, you can talk about it, but let's not make it part of the teaching. How about we teach math and science and handwriting and the things that we really need to to make it. And those things that are going on, people are, are dealing with things, but there's, first of all, needs to be done in the family, I think, first and foremost. And I know that's not possible with everybody because families are struggling too. But we shouldn't be pushing those kinds of things on our kids. That's That's my view, and I don't think it's left and right, honestly. I think most people, we might disagree on this point or that point, but... I guess this is one of my questions for you. Do you think that parents should not have a say in the medical care for their kids? 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. And maybe the better question is, why are we so quiet about this? I didn't know until my my son's 12th checkup at the doctor last summer before he we went in the seventh grade where the doctor had to pull us aside. The pediatrician had to pull us aside and say, by the way, your son now has certain rights where he can tell me stuff, but he can't tell you stuff. And we can do certain medical procedures to him that we can't. I was stunned. I didn't actually know that. How many of us know that this is going on, and how is this even okay? 888-528-2557 if you want to chime in on this. Um, Governor DeSantis of Florida, when he signed that bill, this is what he had to say. Play the DeSantis clip. And so uh, we will continue to recognize that in the state of Florida, parents have a fundamental role in the education, health care, and well-being of their children. We will not move from that. I don't care what corporate media outlets say. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what big corporations say. Here I stand. I'm not backing down. There he stands, and for DeSantis to do that, and the big corporation he's referring to is Disney, uh, that is a brave place to be when you are the governor of Florida. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Disney is the number one employer in Florida. Disney is a very powerful company. And Disney at first was staying out of the argument with this, and then they, they succumbed to a bunch of pressure, and then we saw a lot of things come out about that company. And I'm wondering to myself, aren't there – people on the board of directors at Disney that have kids, little kids, who aren't they saying, hey, excuse me, I really don't want to be talking about this on my trip to the park. I don't want to have to sit down with my kid and explain this this thing that they were just exposed to or why Cinderella became Cinderfella. Is that where they're headed? I mean, that's a silly joke and maybe not nice, but honestly, is that what we're about to have happen? It's a, As a parent, I'll tell you what, Disney Plus, it was awesome to get that. Get rid of the garbage that's on Netflix and all the other stuff. Cancel all that. All right, great. We got Disney Plus. We can trust it. And now I'm at this place where it's like, should I even have that in the house? Do I trust that? I have to watch the cartoons before my kids watch the cartoons. That that shouldn't be a thing. It used to be Disney. It's safe. We kind of had a thought about that. And, and they're a secular company. There's not everything in those movies that, you know, are fine. But 
now it's not. And doesn't that affect things? I would think it does. When we get into this issue here, there are a couple of very interesting articles that are in the LA Times and in the Washington Post today about the transgender issue and how maybe, and this is coming from people who agree that we should have, um, that people should have the right to change their gender and have the surgeries and everything. But there are people who, and they're coming from a standpoint of being, you know, supportive of people making those decisions, but they're saying it's too, it's too much when the kids do it. And yet we're pushing it in Alabama. They just passed a law and it's going to be challenged. I think it will probably get thrown out maybe, but uh, that would be my, my guess, but it makes it illegal for doctors uh, to treat trans youth under 19 years old with puberty blockers or hormones to help them affirm these are all, this is all the language. Okay. Affirm their gender identity. And uh, that's it. So it makes it illegal. In fact, a felony for doctors to get involved here. And that's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. That's the kind of law that I think we're going to see in a whole lot of different places. And it'll be interesting to see where this goes, especially in light of the fact that in some states like ours, um, doctors are being encouraged to treat a kid who shows up who says, hey, I think I am transgender and I want puberty blockers or worse, I want other things to be done. 888-528-2557 is the number. Um, Play that clip number two. This is um, Yamish Alcindor, who is a writer for PBS and NBC News, and she is against the law in uh, Alabama, and this is her response. The young people that I talked to who were remarkable um, in their candor said that they really need this care, that this is the kind of care that helps them um, not feel suicidal, helps them have the confidence and helps them look in the mirror and see the person that they believe that they are. I talked to one um, young woman, a transgender girl, um, Harley Walker, who said that this care saved her life. Take a listen to what she told me. Just like any other medication, I need this and for my physical and mental health. And so to hear politicians who have no medical experience whatsoever, who ha- probably haven't even known what gender-affirming care is until the past year or so, just to hear them say they're not qualified makes no sense to me. 15 years old, she or he is 15 15, making very complicated, lifelong choices, lifelong impact of choices. She's, she's arguing that people who say that you shouldn't be 15 and making those decisions because you're too young. She's saying that, no, I am. I should be able to make, make permanent changes to my body without anybody, without my parents knowing, without my parents' approval, without anybody getting involved. 15, she can't vote. She can't join the military. She can't own a gun. She can't buy a beer until she's 21 or he. She can't rent a car from most companies until she's 25 because rental car companies and their underwriters and insurance companies know that if you're under 25, you're probably going to do something stupid with a rental car because you don't have the ability to make all the best judgments that a person can make. I mean, there's all kinds of things we do in our society because we believe, we scientifically actually believe that people when they're younger don't make, have the ability to use the, the right judgment. I mean, why 21 before you can drink a beer? Have you thought about that? Why? 
Well, that's what we've decided. We've decided that we need to wait, not even till 18, not 16, not 18, not 19, not 20. 21. 21, you can buy an alcoholic beverage. And that's even debatable. But at 21, we're like, okay, you should be old enough to decide that you're not going to drink and drive, that if you're going to have an alcoholic beverage, that you will be responsible, that you should have the capability and the understanding of the seriousness of what you are doing, that you are, this is what we're saying. We're saying that until you're 21, you may not have the judgment to realize that you shouldn't drink and drive. You may not have the judgment to decide that maybe you've had too much to drink and you're becoming an alcoholic. And so legally, what we believe is, as a culture, we've agreed, not what we do, obviously, but it's what we believe that it's illegal to drink until you're 21. Rental car, 25. You can't run for Congress till you're 25. You can't be president until you're 35. You, there's so many different things that you, you can't do legally. And we all think this, but for some reason in the medical world, we are in a place where we're saying to kids, as young as 12, you have the right. In fact, what's going on, the political pressure that's going on is, is the young kids. That's what this Florida bill is about. This Florida bill is about, hey, you're five years old and uh, you like to go play with the boys. Maybe you're actually a boy, little girl. And you're pressured into this. As a pastor of a church, and I have taken some time to be with youth groups at different times. You know what? We have kids come through our youth group that are all over the map on the gender things. We had one kid, and he was he was gay when he was a freshman. He was straight when he was a sophomore. He was trans when he was a junior. And he was some other word. I don't even know what it is when he was a senior. And by the time he graduated, he was just a guy. And he went through all the different stages. And he's not the only one. He just He just picked a different year of his high school career to do whatever. But we have people who are really struggling to answer questions about themselves and dealing with this. I can't even imagine saying to this kid who I know is going to be something different next year, who I know might not think the same way next year, who I know is getting social pressure, political pressure, reading stuff online, probably dealing with pornography and the effects of it, all of this stuff. I can't imagine saying, hey, let's not tell your parents, but I think you should get puberty, puberty blockers. I think you should start to – make plans to actually change how your body is going to develop naturally. 888-528-2557. How do we respond to this? Church, Christians, how do we respond to this in an effective way? Not just yelling about it, but how do we actually reach out and deal with a culture that is imploding? And I'm going to share a couple of things with you that just kind of show you this uh, in a little bit here. 888-528-2557. David from Culver City. Hi, David. Well, first of all, I'm not sure you're right on the details of the Alabama law. What if parents consent to allow their 15-year-old to take hormone receptor blockers? The state is saying that's illegal. But right. They're not even allowing parents to consent to this. No, that's Talk correct. Government. Right. Talk about high-handed government overruling parents. I thought you're all for parents making decisions for their children. Well, I, I mean, hey, uh, know, David, you know, David, hold on, David, and I appreciate your call. I wasn't even saying one thing or the other about the Alabama law. I was just pointing it out that what that law is is making sure, and you're right, doctors don't get to do it at all until they're 19, and it doesn't matter what the parents are saying in that case. And I suppose the same argument could be made where the parents involved in this 
And I understand that. Let me read something to you. This this is in the Wall Street. No, this is in the uh, Washington Post. Okay, this is a Washington Post, a Washington Post left newspaper. Okay, this is an article that is uh, written by Karina Cohn. She's a software developer in Indianapolis, and she's an officer in the Gender Care Consumer Advocacy Network. This came out yesterday, and the title of it is "Opinion." This is in the opinion column of the Washington Post. What I wish I'd known when I was 19 and had sex reassignment surgery. Now, this person is coming from the standpoint of support of sex reassignment surgery and is not arguing against that, not religious uh, in any way, as far as I can tell, not, not taking that perspective at all. And this article that's in the Washington Post says this, when I was 19, I had surgery for sex reassignment, what is now called gender affirmation surgery. And he says, this Cal young man, she says, this callow young man who was obsessed with transitioning to womanhood could not have imagined reaching middle age, but now I'm closer to 50, keeping watchful eye on my 401k and dieting and exercising in the hope that I'll have a healthy retirement. In terms of my priorities and interests today, that younger incarnation of myself might well have been a different person. Yet that person was who committed me to a lifetime set apart from my peers. Think about that sentence. That person who she doesn't even think she is anymore, who thinks differently, like we all do. I mean, don't you, when you get older, don't you look back at yourself and go, wow, I thought I knew everything, but I didn't. I mean, hopefully you do. I mean, if you don't, then you haven't learned anything, right? That's part of getting older is that we, we have a better perspective on how life really works. And this is what she says. That, that was the person who committed me to a lifetime set apart from my peers. And the article goes on to describe. Now, once again, this person is coming from the standpoint of not really against gender transitioning and and transgender and not rejecting that notion, but wishing that this isn't what she did at 19. And I once believed, she says, that I would be more successful at finding love as a woman than as a man. But in truth, few straight men are interested in having a physical relationship with a person who was born of the same sex as them. In high school, when I experienced crushes on my male classmates, I believed that the only way those feelings could be requited is if I altered my body. And it turned out that several of those crushes were also gay. That's how he sees himself or she sees himself now is that really I was gay, but for whatever reason, I was pressured into changing my gender and getting gender reassignment surgery. And this is what she says. If I had confessed in my interest, what might have developed? Alas, the rampant homophobia in my school during the AIDS crisis smothered any such notions. Today, I have resigned myself to never finding a partner. That's tough to admit, but it's the healthiest thing I can do. And this, this article is super interesting because it shows how we are, she was pressured into making a decision that now she understands was the wrong thing, the wrong thing. It did not solve her issues. And the studies are out there. There's some couple of recent studies that are suggesting that maybe suicide rate goes down for people dealing with transgender. But most of them say, no, it doesn't change at all, that you get the surgery and the things that you're dealing with, it doesn't help. And yes, there are people who we throw out there in the public who are saying this was good for me, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, people uh, that we see, right? But there are hundreds and thousands of people going through this who are miserable and have the surgeries, have the puberty blockers, and it doesn't do what they think it's going to do. Why are we afraid to say that? Why are we in such a rush on this subject? Why are we pressuring kids to do it? And where's the church? How do we have this conversation? Are we just completely lost? Have we just resigned ourselves that we've lost this con- this conversation? Maybe, maybe we have. 
But you know what? It's happening to church kids. Like I said, it's in your youth group at your church. Ask your youth director. Ask the people who work, who if your youth group is reaching kids at the local high school or middle school down the street, they're dealing with it. And ask your teachers in your church. I have a teacher in my church who said, you know, a third grader came up and said, uh, I am now a girl and you got to call me this other name. And, you know, as a public school teacher, she said, what do I do? It's not right for me. It's illegal for me to say, no, you're still a boy. Go sit down. And But she said, and I know that this person is a tomboy. And she said, but I was a tomboy. I was a tomboy till I was like 20 years old. And I can't imagine what would have happened. And, you know, she's much older, so no one was doing this at the time. She goes, I can't imagine what would have happened if I would have been pressured to change my gender. This is the world we're living in, my friends, and we need to find a language that isn't just something that we put on our social media, that isn't just something that we we talk about with our friends or we talk about under our breath or that we hide from. People are hurting. And people like this person who wrote this article in the Washington Post who feels compelled to speak out against the pressuring of kids to be making these decisions on their own when we all know that our whole society does not give that kind of authority to kids on their own. You're listening to Southern California Live. We'll be back in just a moment. You can call in and join the conversation. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. We'll be back with this Wednesday edition of SoCal Live in a moment. Stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, Southern California Live. It is a lovely day, a lovely Wednesday afternoon. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557. You can email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. We have been talking about the, the difficult issue to talk about, the transgender issue. It's difficult from a lot of perspectives. It's difficult because I think, myself included in some respect, there are so many things that are hard to understand and hard to process. But the, the place that we are coming from is the pressure on children to be moved in the direction of altering their body physically because somebody has decided, well, you must be trans. You must be transgender. Oh, you're a tomboy. You must be trans. Oh, you're a boy and you like to play with dolls. Well, you must be, uh, you must be a woman. And that starts at a very young age. That's what the Florida bill is ultimately about. It starts at, uh, and kids are dealing with it. Kids have been dealing with this for a long time. I mentioned in youth groups in, in church, there are people, there are kids who are dealing with all kinds of social pressure. I wonder how many of us as parents even know it. A lot of it has to do with the, the internet and things that kids have access to that, uh, man, I think about it when I was a kid, what a mess I would have been if the internet existed when I was a kid. Thank goodness I could just go outside and play. If I was bored, I had Legos or something. Um, the world has changed, and we, especially Christians, we've got to get on top of it and not pretend it's there and not just say, hey, well, this is wrong, but then not do anything. So why are we silent? Why is it hard to have a reasonable voice in this conversation where I think most people agree. I think most people on the left and right agree that these are decisions you shouldn't make as a kid, and parents certainly should be involved in whatever the decision is making. And the idea that the state can say that your kid has the, their 12-year-old can alter 
their their development with puberty puberty I have trouble saying that word today puberty blockers even sex reassignment surgery as soon as they're eligible for that this article by Karina Cohn in the Washington Post is powerful it's in where this person she's trans used to be a man now as a woman has lived most of her life as a woman she is uh, approaching 50 years old changed when she was 19 and she is reflecting on this in the conversation of the day. She's not against it. She's coming from a position of support for people who might want to change their gender. But she is sharing what she went through and what she and the regret that she has that maybe she'll say in the article that maybe she would have done it eventually anyway, but she regrets doing it at 19 because she had no idea what she was doing and what it would cause to her life. This is what she says. She says, Surgery unshackled me from my body's urges, but the destruction of my gonads introduced a different type of bondage. I think one of the reasons we don't talk about it in the church is that sentence. We feel like we shouldn't say that. We feel like maybe we shouldn't talk about this, uh, that it's improper, and it's not, oh, this isn't something you talk about in the church. My friends, we talk about it everywhere else but the church. It makes no sense that we can't talk about this in the church. Imagine the number of people that we could help on a variety of issues that we just don't want to talk about because we're, we're I don't know. I, it is just, we, we have to be able to do this. You know, there's an entire book in the Bible called The Song of Solomon that is about sex. That's what it is about. And yes, it's an analogy of Jesus and the church, and there's a beautiful way that that comes together. But have no doubt, read chapter four, that is the honeymoon, and it means exactly what you think it means. And it is erotic. It is it's it's describing bodily functions that happen during intercourse and stuff, and it means to say that. And it happens in the context of marriage. And it's beautiful when you study that. We have a whole book about it that we don't want to talk about. And we just have such an unhealthy way. It, it's a whole other thing. Surgery unshackled me from my body's urges, but the destruction of my gonads introduced a different type of bondage, she says. From the day of my surgery, I became a medical patient and will remain one for the rest of my life. Do you know this if you're thinking about having this kind of surgery? Do you know this as the 15-year-old kid we heard in the last segment who's a guy who probably hasn't had the surgery but is taking the puberty blockers and is lining up for this surgery? Does that person know that from the day of that surgery that she will then become a medical patient? This is what this person says. A medical patient and will remain one the rest of my life. I must choose between the risks of taking uh, estrogen, which includes venous uh, thrombolism, I should have read that word before, and stroke, uh, or the risks of taking nothing, which includes degeneration of bone health. In either case, my risk of dementia is higher and a side effect of eschewing testosterone. I mean, that is such a huge decision. Think about that. You are going to make a decision that will make you a medical patient the rest of your life, and you're 15, all right, the rest of your life, and you have to choose between different risks that include stroke, risks of taking nothing, which is degeneration of bone health, and the risk of dementia, no matter what you do, because of it. I mean, that's it. Took me years to decide to take cholesterol-reducing medication. I don't really like medication. I I I try to avoid it as much as possible. I just figure. My body must be made for something, and I, I have a hard time with it. My doctor was saying, your, your cholesterol, Scott, is a car payment. You need to do something about it. Oh, yeah, I'll lose weight, and I'll go, ask, you know, I'll go work out. And I thought one time I'm going to be on the medication, and I didn't want to. And 
I go in and have this physical a couple of years ago, and my cholesterol had dropped dramatically. It was the lowest it'd been since high school. I couldn't believe it. My doctor couldn't believe it. And he, he looks at me and he goes, well, this is actually incredible. I was going to tell you, you have to do the medication, but uh, if this is what your cholesterol is, then maybe not. And I'm thinking, you switched the sample. That's not me. There's a mistake. And he goes, what did you do differently? And I said, well, the only thing I'm doing differently is every day I eat a dark chocolate caramel from something I bought at Costco, and I've been eating a lot of breakfast burritos. That, and that was the truth. That was absolutely the truth. And somehow my cholesterol had gone down. Are you exercising more? No. Are you lost any weight? No. Have you changed anything? No, that's it. Just these caramels and the, uh, and I thought, well, there's some kind of combination. You know how our brains start to tell us that something works? It doesn't make any sense. So I did. I kept eating breakfast burritos and these caramels every day for like a year. I thought I found the trick. And then I go in the next year and uh, my cholesterol, it was still down a little bit, but it was back to kind of what it was. And he goes, all right, we'll put you on the medication. And, I, and so now I actually do think they must have switched the samples. They were looking at something else that, you know, somehow the wrong jar or something got turned in. That must have happened. Right. And uh, the interesting thing is that my cholesterol is down from that little pill. I just it's a it's a miracle. You know, hopefully that works. So my point is, is that look at how much time we spend to, to argue about something that is that is almost doesn't affect you at all or that it, in my case, it's working apparently. So it was a good thing. Uh, no side effects that I can tell other than lower cholesterol. Uh, that's good. That's good. So now I can have my breakfast burritos and not worry about it. No, no, it still doesn't work. You still have to exercise and, and all of that. But my cholesterol is no longer more than a car payment. This is Southern California Live. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557 if you want to join in. Okay, so that's the that's the deal here. And so what she's saying in this article is, the transgender surgery, the sex transition surgery has made me a medical patient my whole life since I was 19, and the risks are enormous, and the kids shouldn't be making that. And she, she says, where, where were my parents in all of this? Now, the parents are being pushed out by uh, different laws, okay, in all of this, and uh, that's kind of just a, a bigger issue with a lot of healthcare decisions that parents should be involved in. Those. So she says, where were my parents? They were aware of what I was doing, but by that point, I'd pushed them out of my life. I didn't need parents questioning me or establishing realistic expectations, especially when I found all that I needed online. She's talking about in the early 1990s. You had like these weird chat rooms in the 1990s and dial up. But this is what she says. I would go in these chat rooms and I would meet like-minded strangers who offered inexhaustible, an exhaust, inexhaustible source of validation and acceptance. So people she doesn't know at 19, are pressuring her online 30 years ago to make this decision that would impact her entire life medically. She writes, I shudder to think of how distorting today's social media is for confused teenagers. I am also alarmed by how readily authority figures facilitate transition. This article is in the, this is an opinion in the Washington Post. This is not coming from Fox News or Newsmax or the Epoch Times or any right-wing publication. This is the left-wing Washington Post some sanity coming to the surface. I shudder to think of how distorting today's social media is for confused teenagers. I'm also alarmed by how readily authority figures facilitate transition. I had to persuade two therapists, an endocrinologist and a surgeon to give me what I wanted. None of them uh, were under crushing professional pressure as they would be now to affirm my choice. It's a profound article. She ends it by saying, just giving the advice to slow down if you're headed in this direction. You, may, you might decide to make the change 
But if you explore the world by inhabiting your body as it is, perhaps you'll find that you love it more than you thought possible. Most people who growing up as kids who don't make the change are glad that they did and they don't want to make the change later. Not even, you know, in this article, once again, it's not making a moral judgment about it uh, that we might make as the church where I would probably, you know, argue that you need to stay a man or stay a female, you know. That's not where this argument is. And this isn't the only article about this. Uh, the Los Angeles Times has an article about this where a therapist who has been pushing people towards gender reassignment and uh, the puberty blockers who is all in favor of the Los Angeles Times this week. And she's saying, we have to slow down. I am, I am very concerned about how quickly kids are willing to make this decision to harm their whole life. It is, it is just shocking that we have moved so fast in this direction. And uh, what do we do about it? Christian, you know, how do we help? How do we have this conversation? 888-528-2557. Nancy from San Diego, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, Hi Nancy. Scott. Thanks for taking my call. I met yeah. you in church a couple weeks ago. Oh, hi, Nancy. Pleasure. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know that um, I had a brother-in-law who became a transgender. My sister um, married him, and him is now a her. Hmm. And um, since the time they were married, uh, he was slowly transitioning into his role. They ended up, they made two children. And um, it was just a very difficult, complicated, and confusing process for the last, um, you know, 20 years. So did they get divorced then later? Yes. Okay. They got divorced. I, my sister decided she did not want to be married to a woman, mm-hmm. and um, it was very painful. It was just yeah. emotionally difficult. You know, it, it it destroyed a part of their family for sure. I feel I've seen it. How um, how we reacted as a Christian family was we supported what we could. We didn't agree with it um, because of the. I saw the pain. Yeah, I saw the emotional pain from it. There's kids and, involved, right? Uh, so you have a niece or a nephew? Yeah. And I even would go to these meetings. They had these very interesting um, transition meetings. Right. And I go just to kind of educate myself with that world. And um, it was, it was, it was different. It was really different. And uh, I was excited to um, other transgender people, and um, I had a I had a difficult time trying to wrap my yeah. How would you say I got to go to I got to go to a break? Um, would you say that Christians have um, a lot of learning that we have to do to know how to minister in this case? Oh, I lost you. You're gone. Okay. Uh, we have to take a break. It's an interesting point there that uh, Nancy was making. Um, this is Southern California Live, your Wednesday edition. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back with you in just a moment. The number is 888-528-2557. Stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to Southern California Live. 
If you're just joining us, we're glad that you're here for the final segment of our program today. We're on every day from 3 to 5 live, and uh, it's great to be with you. You can join the conversation by calling 888-528-2557, 888-LA-TALKS. We're talking about the difficult transgender issue and specifically the pressure on young people to not just uh, start dealing with emotions, but to actually do make physical changes to themselves and to do so without parents' involvement, uh, lots of pressure from social media, from the media in general, and some articles that have been in really left-leaning newspapers. See, I argue that a lot of what we're talking about is not really left and right, that there's an agenda on the left and an agenda on the right on both sides of that that are political and have a lot of other things that maybe pile into it. But I think most people think that kids should not be pressured into dealing with this, that their idea of of sexual identity is not something that should be decided when you're eight years old or 12 years old or 15. And the the article in the Washington Post is suggesting 19 is not old enough from somebody who eventually, who did have the surgery, who has regret uh, about it today because of all the things in life that it created by becoming a medical patient, by having risk of many things that the drugs and the surgery creates that you, that she didn't understand when she was 19. And there are so many things in our culture that we have already decided you can't do when you're a young person, vote, drive a rental car, drink, all those things. And yet we are pushing this kind of action on the youngest of our kids um, at very early ages um, and 12 years old, giving them the right in some states like California to hide this kind of treatment from parents. And it's a big deal. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. What do we do, church? How do we respond to this? Sarah from Whittier, thank you for calling. Hi, Sarah. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to be on. Yeah. Um, I I actually work as a school nurse. I'm an RN, and I work as a school nurse in Orange County. And know that there have been probably at least a half a dozen kids within a couple of my schools that are quote beginning to transition. Uh-huh. I have not gotten any information about hormones or that kind of stuff, but definitely beginning to name change and want identity to be changed in school documents, things like that. And I know as a Christian, I need to love and accept the child. But what I'm also seeing with some of these kids, that I actually have three in the last several months that that's become an issue, that I know that within these kids' backgrounds, there's major trauma. Um, yes. And actually, the one school, there's definitely three girls that are trying to become boys, but one of them has an issue with their father. Um, and so there's a lot of trauma, and I think, with a lot of these that we aren't even beginning to recognize, and I feel like there's there definitely is no left agenda to kind of push it, but no one wants to bring this other stuff up, because I think that sometimes if that were addressed, a lot of these kids wouldn't be changing the way they want to be changed, and they would be healed from the mental health issues and not be wanting to change who they are. Sarah, I think that is a that is exactly where the church can focus on this issue because that is something that is very, very common. There has been trauma. There has, not in every case for sure, but in many cases, there's trauma, there's very early exposure to pornography, hardcore stuff, lots of different things, physical abuse. Um, It is 
uh, significant. And are you, are you as a school nurse, um, you, you said you haven't been in a position where you are recommending prescriptions yet. You're, you basically, you're having boys who are starting to dress. I, as... I do, and I do not know of any of my students that are physically doing hormones at this. I haven't been told because I don't have to be told everything. Right. I mean, I have been to a couple of meetings with a couple of these kids because they've actually been in the hospital because of suicidal ideation. Yes. So there's major mental health issues um, along with that. But I don't, I personally don't have any of my kids that I know of. And I have middle schoolers. So these are, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds. Yeah. Um, uh, but I have I, not had to deal with, okay, I have kids actually taking hormones or anything like that. Right. And I don't, you know, the interesting thing too is I don't think it's happening as often as we're making it out to be. I think this is this is in the news everywhere because of a few cases. I don't think that there's a lot of hormones. I think there is a very odd agenda at pushing this on kids who aren't there yet, really. But we're. Why do you think that there is such an agenda to? Um, it's called gender affirming. It's to take somebody who's dealing with this who might be 12 years old and affirm it and push them along in that direction. Uh, do you feel pressure as a school nurse to to step in and push people along in that way, or do you just sort of respond to the needs I, as they I mean, present them? I, I know that I need to be careful when I'm sitting in a meeting and I try to do it where you don't mess up the pronouns and stuff like that. And so I try to not use pronouns because I know that sometimes – there are a few people like a social worker that might be there at a meeting that's really good about it, and they're definitely kind of more that left leaning that, okay, let's push this kid along, you know? Um, yeah. I obviously, as a Christian, don't really feel that that's appropriate, but I still, as, as a Christian, have to show love and compassion to the child, yeah. even if I don't agree with maybe the thought process or whatever. But the other thing, too, is that it's not my place at that point. To say, hey, this is, you know, what about, you know, what about God? You know, I can't, I can't do that in that setting. Yeah. Um, but I just have to show compassion and, you know, just try to find out more about that child. And tell me, tell me about, you know, what's going on if I have one-on-one time with them. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Yeah. But I, I, I sometimes am uncomfortable in situations So you might pick the name rather than the, the, the pronoun, you know, because mm-hmm. I will forget and you know, right. the right. Well, it's not out. natural. Ooh. I mean, in in every no, every isn't. part and every language of human history, no one's ever done it this way. Yeah, so it's 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 really unusual. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Sarah, thank you for your call and uh, for what you're doing. I know you got a hard job. I think that your your thought there that there is something there. We might call it a a pathology and when you when you sort of try to ask people what they're going through i can tell you through many years of counseling that some of the the most horrific things i've heard as far as abuse from parents or from relatives or friends or different kinds of abuse that people have in, have encountered uh, have come from people who are dealing with sexual identity issues and that even if you if you get through the political stuff and you you move into uh, it's a whole different conversation that's happening. The politics is against actually having therapy that can help people by dealing with that pathology. Sometimes you deal with that pathology and the abuse and the sexual identity issue goes away, uh, and sometimes it doesn't. 
Okay. And, uh, you know, you just don't know, but either way, you've got to deal with that kind of abuse. I've had people who we've dealt with some things and, and they have no longer had that identity issue. And I've had people who think that their identity, at the end of the day, they think their identity issue has nothing to do with whatever abuse they've experienced. Uh, that's their opinion. That's not been my opinion. My opinion is it has everything to do with it, but, um, there was a book written many years ago. It's out of print. It's called uh, Destructive Trends in Mental Health. And it was written by the former head of the American Psychological Association, who is not a believer. He's um, a left-wing person, I would say. And a lot of what his point is is that, hey, politics has gotten into how we treat people, that the politics of this – and he's going back to the 1970s – He's saying that we have started to be more political in how we approach these issues rather than clinical. And I think that that is a big point here. To, to finish up today, we're obviously going to have this conversation more often because it's such an issue in the news and we're, we're seeing it more often. But I think that we have to be a people of compassion. I would encourage you, if you are dealing with this with your own kids or your own family or somebody you work with, to actually investigate it, um, there's a good information and focus on the family.com, lots of Christian sites that actually give you know, pretty good descriptions of some of what people are dealing with that uh, I think is outside of the politics uh, enough to give you a Christian perspective. But we need to be a people who, who loves and who listens and who are able to discern because I think that what uh, her point was and it is right – that so often there is so much more going on with people who are suicidal, with people who are cutting themselves, with people who are dealing with uh, gender dysphoria and issues of um, uh, sexual identity. It's for real, and it's a culture where we're we're putting pornographic sex in the hands of the young kids. You know, if you're eight years old, you've probably seen hardcore pornography. Eight years old. That's the statistic. Uh, that's even hard to fathom, but imagine what that does to your brain. All right, we're out of time for today. Uh, thank you for calling and for being thoughtful. I want to encourage you to pray about these things and 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 think as believers about how do we get past the left and right politics and really help people because you're going to interact with us in real life at your church, in your family. Um, it's going to make a. It's going to matter, and we are probably the last hope for some kind of sanity. Uh, in these issues, and we need to not be afraid to talk about them. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. Go to kkla.com or kprz.com to get the podcast and to learn more about our program. I'll see you again tomorrow. God bless. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. I'm not. So you got Bob Lapine all of next week, and then I'm with you forever after that. All right. Have a good one. I'll probably be emailing you next week. Uh, it's the first time I have a chance to step away and think. So, all right. Great. Thank you.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.